Thanks, Ron. All right, well, good morning. Uh, hear these words from 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read them out loud for us. Don't worry about turning there just yet. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's going to be our text for the morning. I encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to join me there in 1 John, not to be confused with the Gospel of John. Same author, different book, this time a little bit closer to the back of your Bible. It's a short little book, just a couple chapters long, and we're going to be studying a little bit of chapter 1 this morning. As you turn there, you should know about me. One, my name is uh, Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. Also, I'm not much of an outdoorsman. Have we talked about this before? I'm what you would call a lover of the great indoors. I love my couch and a good book and a fireplace and a controlled climate. And so I don't go camping very often. But my wife does enjoy camping. So over the course of our marriage, we've gone into the woods several times to enjoy a camping trip. And my favorite part of the trip is, actually this is kind of an overstatement, but what I really look forward to is when we get home and I have a hot shower. Can anyone else relate with me? That first hot shower after a camping trip, you come home, you haven't showered, you've been sleeping on the ground, you've been cold, maybe it's been raining, your sleeping bag was wet, you're shivering at night and you get home and you have a hot shower. It's beautiful. The dust and the grime and the dirt from that week just washes away. And as I thought about that reality, I thought there's a spiritual lesson to be learned here. Because what's, what's driving that desire? Why do I love a hot shower so much? I think it's because simply I like to be clean. I like to be clean, whether it's a hot shower after the end of a camping trip or at the end of a long day. There's something about a shower that just refreshes you, right? It kind of hits the reset button on your day. You're warm. You're comfortable. You can get on with relaxing. And I thought the same is true in our spiritual lives, right? We want to be clean. We want to be cleansed and purified and and forgiven. We don't like the feeling of guilt and shame from our sin or from our past to, to hang on us. We want it washed away. We're continuing our summer sermon series called Rhythms, where for several weeks now we've been looking at what are these different habits or patterns that should be present in our lives as Christians in order for us to stay healthy, connected to Jesus, to grow. Some might call these spiritual disciplines, just these regular practices we should work into our lives. And this week we're looking at the rhythm of confession, which when I mention that automatically it carries with it a little bit of baggage, because some of us have heard the Usher song on the radio, and that's what we think of when we hear the word confession. Probably a small percentage of us. <laughs> Some of us think about the, the Roman Catholic sacrament of confession, where you confess your sins somewhat regularly to a priest. Maybe some of us have a background in that religious context, and so when we hear confession, that's where our mind goes. When I mention confession, though, I'm simply talking about uh, the biblical concept of acknowledging our sin before God. 
speaking our sin, confessing it to him, and, and asking for forgiveness. Simply put, it's a way to spiritually get clean. Looking back at 1 John, our passage for the morning, you notice that before he talks about confession, he talks about sin in verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, in order for us to confess our sins, we have to believe that we have sins to confess in the first place. And so John's writing here towards the end of the first century, and most think that in this context, there was a group of false teachers that had uh, risen and were starting to lead people astray, teaching things that were contrary to the truth. And so he's kind of paraphrasing them a little bit. If we claim that we, excuse me, if we say that we are without sin, that's what some of them were arguing. And so he's writing to correct false teaching, correcting some people that were saying that they did not have sin in their life. Or maybe as verse 10 puts it, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, he's paraphrasing his opponents. Some are saying there's not sin in their lives currently. Some are saying that they have not sinned in the past. And he's saying both of those claims are absurd. Both of those claims are completely absurd. Why? Well, he says, he knows, excuse me, that the scriptures are clear about the doctrine of sin and the human condition. What do the scriptures teach about sin? Well, the Bible tells us that sin is first universal. It's something that all human beings, with the exception of Jesus Christ, experience. Right? Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is not something that happens to a few bad apples. Most of us are good, but a few bad guys along the way in history have gone way off. No, Scripture reminds us that we all have sinned. It's a universal human condition. Scriptures also remind us that sin is a condition of the heart, something that comes from within. Jesus, in Mark chapter 7, if you remember from a few months ago, we were studying through the gospel of Mark. We came to this passage, and what did Jesus say? Speaking about sin, he says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from where? Inside. So he's saying sin is not some corruption that happens out there, that we just get by, tainted by stuff out there, and it messes up an otherwise good heart. He says that's not how it works. And it's not that we cross a line here, there, we break some rules, but really still inside we're good people. No, Jesus is saying sin comes from our hearts. There's this disposition within each of us, a bent away from God towards rebellion, away from God's ways. We, by nature, have this tendency where we're prone to sin. So sin is universal. Sin is a condition of the heart. And Scripture also tells us that sin involves specific actions. And I think when we think about sin, this is usually what comes to mind. We, we break a law, we disobey a command, we do things in thought or word or deed that go against what God has told us to do. 
we'll cheat, we'll lie, we'll steal, and, and anything else. We cross the line. We miss the mark. And so the doctrine of sin tells us that we are all sinners by nature and by choice, by the things that we have done. The scriptures are clear enough on this, but this is kind of a controversial teaching today. Because today we like to think that people are mostly good. Again, a few bad apples here and there, but by nature, humans are generally good. And I've shared this quote before. I think it's worth revisiting, though. There's this British philosopher, C.M. Joe, that was writing after World War II, and he had this philosophy of human beings are mostly good, and we're all just going to kind of figure things out together. Human progress is inevitable. But then World War II happened, and he said it completely shattered his philosophy and the philosophy of his peers. And he said this. He said, it was because we rejected the doctrine of original sin that we were always being so disappointed. Disappointed by the refusal of people to be reasonable, by the behavior of nations and politicians, and above all, by the recurrent fact of war. See what he's saying? He's saying we've rejected sin. We said original sin is not a thing. Human beings are mostly good, but then they took a look at the world around them and they said, well, this doesn't make sense then. That doesn't explain what we see in the world. Things don't add up if people are mostly good. Why do we keep seeing war, violence, greed, oppression, on and on, people abusing their power, the headlines we keep seeing in the newspaper, why, if people are mostly good, why is this the way the world looks? So he changed his mind after seeing this. And so it doesn't take long for us to take a look at the world and say, wow, the doctrine of, of sin in the human heart actually makes a whole lot of sense when we look around and even when we look at our own lives. Right? Just think through your own life using the grid of Mark chapter 7 that we saw from Jesus there talked about the sins of sexual immorality and theft and murder and greed and envy, slander, arrogance. I mean, by that list alone, how many of us could stand before God and say we're righteous and we're clean and we're innocent? We quickly see our own sin. And so back to 1 John chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, he's saying we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. We know that it's there. And we're trying to explain it away or trying to bury it, pretend that it doesn't exist. Not only that, but verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Who? Him. God. We take a look at the scriptures and say, you know what? God says we're sinners. God says this is sin and so on and all have sinned, but he's lying. Because we know actually what the human heart looks like. When we do this, we show that the truth, it says, and God's word is not in us. It has not shaped us. We have not allowed it to shape what we believe. Sometimes we do this blatantly, but other times it's a little bit more subtle. I think if we're honest, sometimes we don't want to acknowledge our sin because deep down we're afraid that if people knew our sin, we confessed it and it was known then people wouldn't love me. People wouldn't accept me. 
I wouldn't be welcome here or there. I would be rejected because of my sin. So we bury it. Or sometimes we don't want to acknowledge our sin to ourselves because then our own view of ourselves would be changed. We'd lose that sense of moral superiority that we often feel when we realize that we're not better than everyone else. We want to be able to look at ourselves the same way. But remember, we're talking about confession this morning. Confession. We have to start first, though, with the idea of sin and and understanding it. If we don't understand the bad news, we won't really be able to celebrate the good news of forgiveness. Again, we can't confess our sins if we don't think that we have any sins to confess. Proverbs 30, verse 11 and 12 says this, There are those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. There are those who are pure in their own eyes. They're already clean and righteous, and so they don't seek cleansing and forgiveness, and so they don't receive cleansing and forgiveness. We won't take a shower if we don't think we're dirty. We won't wash our hands if we don't think they're dirty. And so we won't come to the Lord confessing our sin if we don't think that we have any. The text gives us another option, though. Rather than claiming that we are without sin, you notice verse 9, we read it earlier. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So rather than claiming to be without sin and deceiving ourselves, saying if we confess our sins, acknowledge them before God, God does what? He, he forgives us, purifies us, and cleanses us. If we confess, the word here, confess, carries the idea of speaking the same thing about our sin that God does. So if we acknowledge it, admit before God that yes, we have sin in our lives, it says we'll be forgiven. This concept would be familiar to the the people of God throughout the scriptures because you see in the Old Testament examples of individuals confessing sin. We think of uh, Psalm 51, this famous passage where David is confessing his sin and seeking forgiveness. We also also see throughout the Old Testament examples of, of groups of people. The congregation gathered coming before the Lord, confessing their sin, repenting, asking for God's mercy and grace. And this practice continued in the New Testament church as well. Confession, not just a, hey, sorry, would love some forgiveness, and I'm going to kind of keep going, doing what I was doing before, but this confession carries with it a, a true sorrow in our hearts over what we've done, over how we've turned from God, wronged Him, hurt other people. And so notice this morning, that when we're talking about sin, it's heavy, a heavy concept, I understand that, but we're not, we're not going here just to, to weigh you down, to make you feel bad, to guilt you or shame you or scare you or make your burden heavier. That's not why we're going here, and that's not why the Scriptures bring up sin. We're going here because we need to, again, acknowledge the bad news if we want to experience the good news. Sin is a burden, on us. It weighs us down. 
It keeps us in the dark and keeps us from experiencing the fullness of life that God gives for us. Psalm 38, verse 4, this is David speaking, he says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My sin and my guilt, it was overwhelming. It was a burden. It was holding me down. It was kept me in the dark. Destroys us from within. I mean, think with me. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd get in trouble? I remember this when I was getting in trouble at school or, uh, yeah, at school. Um, you know, whether it was a grade thing or some behavior thing. And I remember I would have to come home and, and share the news with my parents. I remember until that conversation happened with my parents, there was like this dark cloud over my day. Like, you know that feeling is when you're, you're, you're guilty and you know it and you know it has to come to the light and you're, they don't know yet and you have to tell them. Like until you get there, I remember it was just, I was, I was stressed out. It was like this pit in my stomach. It was eating me up inside. And maybe I'm just a sensitive kid, but maybe you can relate with me there, right? And it, it wasn't that I was looking forward to the conversation with my parents because there would be consequences and it would be disappointment and all kinds of things, but I just wanted to get it out. Once it was out, at least it was known and in the light. And yeah, there would be consequences, but we could deal with it rather than, than hiding. There's this TV show Amber and I were watching. It's called Bloodline. Maybe you've seen it. Um, Kind of violent and, and crazy in some ways. But basically what happens, this, this family covers up this murder. And the rest of the show is them trying to keep it covered up. Lying, lying some more, dodging the police. And really the whole time you see how it just, it destroys their souls. That there is this, this sin, this darkness in their hearts that has not been confessed and it hasn't come up. It destroys them. There's anger and bitterness and fear every moment. And the whole time you're watching it, you just, you just want them to bring it to the light. Just let it be known and then deal with, yes, consequences, but let it be known. Sin is a burden and confession is an opportunity to lay it down and just bring it to the light before the Lord. I think for some of us, we feel kind of stuck sometimes spiritually. Maybe we feel like we're not growing. Maybe it's hard for us to move on from our past in certain ways. And this isn't always the case, but sometimes it's because there's, there's sin in our lives, in our hearts that we're walking in or that we haven't ever acknowledged in our past. We haven't never, ever, ever asked God for forgiveness. Again, I'm not saying this is always the case, but sometimes there's sin in the way, and it's, it's hindering us from growing and experiencing joy and further life in the Lord. And so God invites us to confess it rather than trying to hide it, bring it to the light, and then experience the grace and forgiveness that God offers us. Confession, it says, leads to forgiveness and purification and cleansing because, you notice, because of who God is, right? What does the text say? If we confess he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So our, our hope is in the character of God, that he is a good and faithful God who keeps 
His promises, and He's promised to forgive those who call on Him in faith. Those who look to Him in faith will be forgiven and washed and renewed because of the work of Jesus. It's not like going home with bad news from school and wondering how your parents are going to respond and what consequences will be there, what punishment will come. We don't have to worry about that when we come to the Lord because the text tells us how God will respond. If we confess and bring it to the light, it says what? He's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from from all unrighteousness. How much of our sin and unrighteousness? All forgiven. Past, present, future. All. Because of the character of God and what Jesus has done. This is our hope. This is the good news. This is the gospel that we celebrate every week. A gracious God, a forgiving God, a loving God who wipes away our sin. You see, this is why here we make much of Jesus. We sing about Jesus and celebrate Jesus because the reason God forgives, how God is able to forgive is because of the work of Christ. It shows his action to forgive us. Chapter 2 of 1 John continues in verse 1, if you've seen it. If anybody does sin, it's a little bit through verse 1 there. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if we sin, which the text has already made it clear, uh, we have, and we will, our hope is that we have an advocate, one who stands by us and pleads our case before God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the obedient one, the perfect one, the Savior who died in our place. It says that He is what? The atoning sacrifice for our sins. Maybe your translation says the propitiation for our sins. It's not a word that we use very often today. But it comes from a Greek word that means essentially a a sacrifice that turns away wrath and restores favor. So Jesus was the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice in our place, taking the wrath we deserved for sin, judgment and condemnation, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to a relationship with God so that we could have life in Him. Again, this is why Jesus is the hero, because the Bible is not primarily a book about what you have to go and do. The Bible is primarily a book telling us what Jesus has done for us. It's about what Jesus has done. In college, I uh, lived for a couple years with several roommates, and at one time, I think there were six to eight of us guys living in the same house. It wasn't the cleanest house in the world. Let's just say that. Uh, Only one of the guys was tidy, let's say, and was great about dishes and dusting and just cleaning up in general. The rest of us, not so good. Ask Amber. She'll verify that this was the case. And I remember one time in particular, uh, the kitchen got really dirty. I mean, the dishes were piling up, started to smell a little bit. I don't know how many days or meals in a row this went on, but it was disgusting. And none of us were ready to jump in there and clean it and get it back to normal. And so we just kind of kept waiting. (laughs) 
And one day, I remember, again, it was really bad, came down and I walked into the kitchen and I saw a completely clean kitchen. Our roommate, Robbie, sweet brother Robbie, cleaned the entire kitchen. All the dishes, all the silverware, everything was done, put away, counters were wiped clean. It was spotless in there. I, t- I texted Robbie this week and told him I was telling this story, and he got a, a kick out of it. And, but he left a note there. So I came in, saw the clean kitchen, and I saw this note that was from Robbie to the rest of the guys. And it said, your dish debt is paid. <laughs> Be blessed. And when I read that note, think about this, that note was good news, right? Because it said the job is done. It's finished. Everything is clean. Enjoy. The note could have said, hey, do some dishes, you bums, right? He could have just left it and said, figure it out. Clean it up. Get your act together and things will be clean. Think about how that relates to the gospel. The gospel is not a note of get it together, you bums. The gospel is a note of it's done. It's finished. Enjoy. And yes, we needed to get better about the dishes. I understand that. But you get the concept. It's done. It's paid for. Jesus has done it all. He's he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only ours, but the sins of the whole world freely offered so that if we come in faith, we're forgiven, reconciled to God, given his spirit, his life within us forever. He's done it all. So confession, Richard Foster says, begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. It begins in sorrow, recognizing our sin, grief for how we've wronged God and others, but it ends in joy, because as we confess it, we remember, we're assured that we are forgiven in Christ. We are given new life. We can celebrate that and go and live differently because of it. You may be here this morning and saying, we've heard this before. We know the gospel message, but it seems odd talking about it as a rhythm. I mean, isn't that kind of a one-time transaction? We come to Jesus, recognize our need for his forgiveness, receive it, and then we go on, and that's what confession is? Kind of. I mean, in one sense, you're right. When we come to Christ in faith, We're forgiven of our sins, cleansed, reconciled to God, given new life, united to Jesus forever. That's not something that gets undone, that we slip out of, that we lose, if you will, where we're we're saved and, and forgiven and cleansed, but then we sin again, and so now we're out of God's grace and need to get back in, and then we sin again, and we're out of God's grace, and we ask forgiveness, and so we're back in. That It doesn't work that way. Once we're saved and united to Christ, He holds us in Him. We have assurance of that, but it doesn't mean that confession stops or that we somehow don't have anything to confess anymore. Because the reality is there are still going to be things in our lives as believers that we need to confess before the Lord. Ways that we still walk in sin or or harm other people that we need to turn from, that we need to ask forgiveness for, ways we've harmed others. Martin Luther, the great reformer from uh, 500 years ago, 1517, he wrote this. Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire Christian life. 
is one of repentance, of learning to see our sin, confess it before the Lord, and turn from it, walking in God's ways. So along the way, as we are filled with the Spirit, walking this new life, we'll have to bring things to God. And actually, I would argue, as we grow in Christ, as we mature in Christ, we should probably be confessing and repenting more than we did at first. Because we'll be able to see more clearly our own sin. We'll have more of an awareness of our sin, a sensitivity to it. Our minds will be more filled with God's Word, so we'll be able to identify sin quicker and quickly come to the Lord for forgiveness. And so we should be in the rhythm of seeing our sin and confessing it. So what does that look like? I think we should spend time in prayer with God regularly, thinking over our day and our week, and trying to see, Lord, where have there been thoughts or attitudes or things that I've done that have been out of line with who you are, where I've sinned against you, I've done what I shouldn't do, the way I spoke to my wife, the way I treated my kids. When I did that at work, Lord, that didn't represent you. Lord, forgive me. Ask forgiveness. And sometimes we need to use, actually often, we need to use Scripture to evaluate our hearts because we don't always, we're not always aware of the ways that we're sinning. And so if we come to the Scriptures and look at a passage like Mark chapter 7 and saw Jesus talking about this kind of list of sins, we can see, wow, we're, where do we do some of those same things? Or as we look at the Ten Commandments, kind of a basic guide to morality there, we can look and see, wow, Lord, where have I failed to, to worship you above everything else? Where have I cheated or committed adultery or whatever it might be? Where have I gone wrong, Lord? Or look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Someone walking with the Lord, right, will experience more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, fruit in their life. So, Lord, where in that list have I gone astray? Am I not demonstrating love and, and patience and gentleness and kindness to those in my life? So we'll need to do some evaluation, taking the time to pause and think through our lives. And if you've never done this, maybe again, it'll take 5, 10, 15 minutes of just sitting with the Lord and asking Him, Lord, help me to see. Because I can't see right now, but I know there are things in my life that need to be given over to you. So help me see them. And God may bring something to your mind or your heart where you not only need to ask for His forgiveness, but you might need to seek someone else out and ask for their forgiveness as well. Again, maybe He's going to bring up a way that you've wronged someone else. And so yes, confess it to the Lord. Then let's be quick repenters who, who quickly go to our brothers and sisters that we have wronged, confess it, ask for their forgiveness where we have wronged them. And then, at the end of that process, again, the sorrow turns to joy when we remember the grace of God and the gospel, that we're forgiven in Christ, cleansed, washed, renewed, filled with His Spirit, given eternal life and hope with Him. So the sorrow turns to joy. As we close here, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the table and celebrate communion. And it's actually very fitting because confession throughout the history of the church has not just, not just been an individual thing, or it's me before the Lord. It is that. But it's also something that we do together, where we recognize as the people of God, we have failed to obey the Lord in all His ways. We have sinned, and we need His grace. And so as we come to the table, it's a way that we recognize that together. 
the elements of the bread and the cup represent the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us. He took those elements on the night he was betrayed and he told us to do this in remembrance of me. And so as we come to the table today, we're remembering Jesus and his sacrifice for us to be forgiven and restored to God. But again, before we do that, I want to give us a chance to acknowledge the sin in our lives that made his sacrifice necessary. And so I'm going to give you just a minute to to sit with God, to evaluate your own heart, to consider if there's anything that you need to confess before the Lord. And then, right after that, we're going to read a prayer out loud together where collectively we will uh, acknowledge our sin before God and thank him for his grace. So give you just a moment to, to be with the Lord, and then we'll go after that. as you've had some time with the Lord on your own. Now, I invite you to to stand together as as a church as we, uh, again, practice what Christians have been doing for centuries in in worship, coming before God and confessing our sin. Would you read this out loud with me as a prayer? Merciful God, have mercy on our souls according to your unwavering love. According to your abundant mercy, Wipe away our sins and the guilt we carry. We confess that we have sinned against you in word, thought, and deed, in things we have done and things we have left undone. Lord, create in us clean hearts. Renew your spirit within us.
Restore to us the joy of your salvation for your glory and our good. Amen. All right, friends, now if you've put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to the table and be reminded that you are forgiven by a gracious God.
So as we close this morning, we have a new song because Jesus Christ is our living hope. So I invite you to stand and join in and sing with us. Um, Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. All right.